I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of November 17. In the news, the U.S. Senate adopts the Armenia Protection Act of 2023 that could repeal Section 907, the first ever UK-Armenia strategic dialogue takes place in London, and the EU to beef up their monitoring mission in Armenia while Yerevan decides to double its defense expenditures. Today, an explosion took place at the Yerevan State University, leaving one dead and three injured. Yerevan State University spokesperson Kanar Misakian said the explosion took place after a fire broke out in one of the rooms in the basement. The fire, according to preliminary information, was caused by voltage fluctuations. Yerevan State University spokesperson said the victims are employees of the university. On November 15, the U.S. Senate adopted the Armenia Defense Act of 2023 that will suspend all military aid to Azerbaijan by repealing the Freedom Support Act Section 907 waiver for the fiscal years of 2024-2025. In addition, the document will allow Armenia to allocate funds for military purposes from abroad. The bill will be introduced in the House of Representatives, then if passed, will be presented to the U.S. President for signing to become a law. The resolution was adopted amid a congressional hearing on the future of Nagorno-Karabakh, held on the same day, the purpose of which, as Representative Keane noted in his opening remarks, was to discuss the situation for ethnic Armenians who remain in Nagorno-Karabakh and those who have fled as refugees, as well as hear from the administration on the status of peace negotiations between Armenia and Azerbaijan. The U.S. State Department's Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, James O'Brien, who was present at the hearing as a witness, spoke to the members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee subcommittee on Europe, stating, We've made it clear that nothing will be normal with Azerbaijan after the events of September 19 until we see progress on the peace track. We've cancelled a number of high-level visits, condemned the actions, and the 907 waiver, he said. O'Brien added that at Secretary Blinken's order, the U.S. is developing a comprehensive, thorough, and transparent record of what happened in Nagorno-Karabakh not just on September 1920, but for the months before that. O'Brien also emphasized that use of force is unacceptable, adding that the U.S. is closely following the movement of troops. He also stated that a transit corridor built with the involvement and consent of Armenia can be a tremendous boon to states across the region highlighting that if created some other way by force or with the involvement of Iran, it will be met with a very strong reaction and will not be a success. He noted that Armenia has made it clear that it wants to have a transatlantic opportunity and the next weeks will be critical in testing the party's willingness to go from good intentions to saying yes. He added that the decision will be Aliyev's on whether he says yes or not and we want that to happen in the next few weeks, O'Brien said. The Deputy Assistant USAID Administrator Alexander Sokolovsky, who was uh, the second witness of the hearing, talked about the support that the USAID is trying to provide Armenia, adding that they brought experts to together to start working with the Armenian government on what it can do to lessen its dependence on Russian grain and flour. On the same day, the Azerbaijani foreign ministry responded, as they always do, Rubina, to the remarks made by O'Brien, calling them one-sided and biased, uh, that are counterproductive, baseless, and unacceptable. The statement characterized these remarks as, quote, a blow to uh, Azerbaijan-U.S. relations in bilateral and multilateral formats that are irrelevant and undermine peace and security in the region. The Azerbaijani foreign ministry also announced that it will not take part in a meeting with Armenia's foreign minister that is planned for November 20 in Washington because of the, quote, one-sided approach of the United States. Right, but to go back to what uh, was said during this uh 
congressional hearing, hearing mm-hmm. which, by the way, we have on our website That's right. kind of uh, a recap of it. If someone just wants to go through and read, uh, for the first time, actually. The U.S. said we're canceling meetings with Azerbaijan as kind of like first time, not really a punishment, but actually a repercussion. A little bit of a stick, yes, yes instead of a carrot. <laughs> first time we're talking about Russian grain and flour in Armenia and kind of like really talking about lifting Armenia or helping Armenia lift Russia's de- its dependence mm-hmm. on Russia. And first time... Uh, Also, the U.S. saying something about the corridor where, like, uh, mm-hmm. Iran's involvement will not be acceptable. These are, like, some interesting mm-hmm. points that were made during this uh, congressional sure. hearing. Sure. Also, the 907 waiver, which yes. was also uh, interesting as well. Right. Today, uh, Matthew Miller, the spokesperson of the U.S. State Department, responded to Baku's statement stating that Washington reaffirms and continues to support peace talks to resolve the issues between Armenia and Azerbaijan. We encourage the parties to engage in those negotiations, whether they are here or elsewhere, and that will continue to be our policy, he said. On November 13, Armenia's Foreign Affairs Minister Arat Mirzoyan was in the United Kingdom on a working visit. The official opening ceremony of the new building of the Armenian Embassy in the UK took place. Minister of State uh, in the Department for Business and Trade, Timothy Minto, uh, attended the ceremony on behalf of the UK government. Mirzoyan stated in his speech, Uh, quote, we reaffirm our commitment to deepen our political dialogue, our economic and cultural ties. The first UK-Armenia strategic dialogue was hosted by Minister of Europe Leo Doherty and Mirzoyan. The meeting began with a private conversation and later continued in an extended format with the participation of delegations from both countries. Discussions during the meeting centered around the agenda of bilateral relations between the two nations. The parties discussed security and stability issues in the South Caucasus, particularly focusing on the normalization process of relations between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Mirzoyan spoke about the peace process based on the principles outlined in the statement that was adopted after the quadrilateral meeting in Granada, uh, this is in past October. He also presented the Crossroads of Peace project that has been developed by Armenia, highlighting the expected advantages resulting from its implementation. Well, Mirzan really had a number of high-level meetings in the UK. Mm-hmm. He also met with the Shadow Secretary of State of Foreign Commonwealth and Development Affairs of the UK, the Chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee of the UK Parliament, and the head of the Army UK Friendship Group and its members. Well, then Mirzoyan traveled to Brussels, where he was on November 15. He delivered remarks at the 15th Annual Assembly of Eastern Partnership Civil Society Forum. Mirzoyan reflected on the core purpose of the Eastern Partnership, emphasizing its commitment to democracy since its launch in 2009. He acknowledged the difficulty of sustaining democracy amid global issues like the collapse of the European security architecture and rising authoritarianism. Mirzoyan, who, Maria, this week seems like he's the hardest working Armenian <laughs> official this week. Well, yeah, for sure. he also commented on the European Commission's decision regarding Moldova, Ukraine and Georgia, applauded EU's support in various initiatives and expressed Armenia's commitment to peace efforts. He highlighted the crucial role of civil societies in addressing challenges and thanked them for their contributions to the Eastern Partnership's shared goals of democracy and peace. Mirzoyan also met with Hajar Labib, the minister 
Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, European Affairs and Foreign Trade, and the federal cultural institutions of Belgium. Both sides emphasized the importance of the steps aimed at deepening Armenia-EU relations. They also discussed recent developments. Obviously, all of the discussions are about regional security. Well, more of that. On November 15, Deputy Foreign Minister of Armenia, Vahan Gostanyan, and Deputy Secretary General, Political Director of the European External Action Service, Enrique Mora, held the second high-level Armenia-EU political and security dialogue. The parties expressed mutual interest in enhancing political dialogue and cooperation, particularly in foreign security and defense policy. The EU reiterated strong support for Armenia's sovereignty, territorial integrity, and borders. The dialogue addressed challenges to European security, emphasizing the unacceptability of using force. Both sides stressed the need for durable peace in the South Caucasus and discussed EU support for normalization between Armenia and Azerbaijan. They also spoke about the displacement of Armenians from Artsakh, emphasizing their rights and security. Regarding Armenia-Turkey normalization, they expressed hope for the timely implementation of agreements, including the opening of land borders. The dialogue covered regional relations, geopolitical developments, and security challenges with a commitment to addressing hybrid threats. The next dialogue is scheduled um, to take place in Yerevan in 2024, co-chaired by officials from Armenia and the European External Action Service. On November 13, at an EU Foreign Affairs Council session in Brussels, a discussion was held on Armenia-Azerbaijan in light of Azerbaijan's military operation in Nagorno-Karabakh on 1920 September of 2023. The subsequent mass displacement of over 100,000 Karabakh Armenians and ongoing efforts to normalize relations. Following the discussion, the High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Joseph Borrell, announced that the EU decided to beef up their mission in Armenia, more observers and more patrols in sensitive areas of the border. He added that the EU will explore possible support to Armenia under the European Peace Facility and options for visa liberalization for Armenia. The High Representative added, we have to be very much vigilant for any attempts of destabilization of Armenia internally or externally, and our message to Azerbaijan has been clear. Any violation of Armenia's territorial integrity will be unacceptable and would have severe consequences for the quality of our relations. He also called for the resumption of negotiations process between Armenia and Azerbaijan and on the work done by the President of European Council, Charles Michel. Borel concluded by stating that they have decided to invite Armenia's foreign minister, Arat Mirzoyan, to join the EU Foreign Affairs Council in the margins during one of the council's upcoming meetings. And of course, as always, a day later, the <laughs> Azerbaijani foreign minister responded to Borel's remarks, calling them completely inadequate and unacceptable, and that saying that they deliberately distort the realities in the region, adding that the accusations made by the EU representative pose a threat to the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Azerbaijan. Well, it wouldn't be a normal day if the <laughs> Baku didn't respond. Speaking of which, they went on to say that the EU's efforts to arm Armenia I mean, it's just so rich, these comments. Okay, The EU's efforts to arm Armenia and thus support militarization that hinders peace and stability in the region encourage a policy leading to new conflicts in the region, and the EU bears responsibility for this. We uh, remind once again that speaking with Azerbaijan in a language of threats is unacceptable and any unfriendly actions will not lead to a positive result but will receive an adequate response. I mean, it's not enough that they threaten Armenia. It's not enough that they ethnically cleanse they continue to threaten the United States and the EU, anybody who comes out speaking the truth. Well, 
I'm moving on <laughs> because we're really going to come back to this yes, uh, in, a, in a bit again, with, yeah. uh, with the French weaponry arriving to Armenia. But before that, on November 14, Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan spoke over the phone with the president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko. The phone call took place at the initiative of the Belarusian side. Issues related to organizing the upcoming CSTO Collective Security Council session in Minsk, the capital of Belarus, scheduled to take place on November 23 were discussed. Pashinyan told Lukashenko that he will not participate in the session and expressed hope that uh, his CSTO colleagues will treat his decision with understanding. And the following day in uh, Parliament, uh, the Prime Minister said, we are looking for and finding these security partners. We are trying to sign contracts, acquire weapons, military equipment, and that is our policy. We are not planning to announce a change in our policy in strategic terms as long as we haven't made a decision to quit the CSTO. And referring to his decision not to go to Minsk, uh, Nikol Pashinyan reminded everyone at Parliament that the CSTO had not responded to Armenia's security challenges. In fact, it has refused to acknowledge or even take note of security issues within the scope of its responsibility in Armenia. During the Azerbaijani attack in 2021 and 2022, Armenia applied not only to the CSTO but also to Russia for military assistance. In both cases, Yerevan's appeals remained unanswered. The Prime Minister added that Armenia did not reject the CSTO's deployment of a mission. This was after the 2022 attack where they kept saying, we will deploy a mission, we will deploy well, a mission. Well, they were going to de- deploy a fact-finding mission, right. and I don't know what facts they found. Well, they, they, a couple of people came and left, but we never heard anything about it. Um, so... As again, so Pashinyan is saying we didn't reject the deployment of a CSTO mission, but wanted the CSTO to clearly record and register Armenia's territorial integrity before doing so. Uh, he said, we cannot accept such a mission because it would turn out that by doing so, we would legitimize the blurred perception of the Republic of Armenia and thus legitimize Azerbaijan's invasions in such conditions. Because just mm-hmm. as a reminder, sure. uh, back then, uh, Russia said, well, the borders are not clear anyway. Right. So uh, this mm-hmm. is what he means. Mm-hmm. That was Russia's response. Well, Lukashenko's suggestion to Pashinyan was that uh, he shouldn't make rush decisions, not to make any hasty decisions, he said, but to think seriously about the next steps, which may lead to Armenia's isolation. Well, the word he used was yeah. disintegration. De- or de-integration. If we translate uh, it. Yeah. Yes. So we are not sure what he meant. There was no further comments of on course, that. Like, yeah. uh, isolation from the CSTO or becoming a member po- of the Union state. state. Union State. Well, that's not clear. Well, Kre- uh, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said that Russia regrets that the Armenian prime minister will not participate in the upcoming summit of CSTO. And speaking of spokespeople, your favorite person. I mean, I don't know if Maria Zakharova ever listened to our podcast, how she would respond. But here we go. Russian foreign ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova in a recent briefing said that Armenia, acting on the advice of the United States and the European Union, outside the framework of tripartite agreements, in Moscow's opinion, faces the danger of being cut off from the future configuration of regional communications. The term Zankezur corridor is not used by Moscow, she said, uh, adding that for this part of the region, we use the term routes from Azerbaijan. Sorry, it's really, it's uh, comedic. 
So let me start again. She added, for this part of the region, we use the term roots from Azerbaijan to Nakhichevan through the Sunuk region of the Republic of Armenia. Well, she added that Russia is not advocating for the creation of any specific route, but is in favor of the complete unblocking of economic and transport communications in the South Caucasus. The trilateral working group operates on the basis of the agreements between the leaders of Russia, Azerbaijan, and Armenia of November 9, 2020, January 11, 2021, she said. It mentions the role of the Border Guard Service of Russia in the control of transport communications between Azerbaijan and Nakhichevan. This is what was discussed in detail at the briefing. All this is not news for Armenia, she said. She also added that the Russian border guards have been successfully guarding Armenian borders for many years based on bilateral agreements with Iran and Turkey. If I ever was someone that was into Halloween, I might dress up like Zakharov. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that next year. All right. So now moving on to other news. On November 14, Armenia deposited its instrument of ratification of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court at a ceremony that took place at the treaty section of the UN Office of Legal Affairs. With this, Armenia became the 124th state party to the International Criminal Court. Russia's foreign ministry spokesperson uh, commented on this stating, uh, despite all the warnings, especially against the backdrop of the anti-Russian policy that the West unleashed against the leadership and officials of our country through the International Criminal Court, Yerevan decided to ratify it purely for political reasons, she said. Zakharova. Right. And Zakharova went on to say, if Yerevan is still interested in solving the problems created by its own hands, then in our opinion, there are opportunities for this within the framework of the Armenian legal system. As a reminder, the Rome Statute was ratified by the Armenian Parliament on October 3. The ratification was criticized uh, quite heavily and frowned upon by Moscow because of the ICC's arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. And we have, uh, you know, we have written about this. We have, you know, said this this it's all cool don't worry about it nobody's arresting putin at the moment and yes yet, yeah. and uh, pachinian has time and again said the army has sent uh, an official agreement with uh, to moscow saying we agree not to arrest putin yeah. in case which is army has right any republic's right sure. to do so Yesterday in the National Assembly, Armenia's Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan said that defense expenditures in Armenia under the 2024 budget will be doubled compared to 2018. He said this is not a preparation for war but for peace because the sense of protection among our citizens is the most important guarantee for peace and stability. I'm convinced that all neighboring countries are sure that we don't intend to attack anyone. You know, he, he dismissed concerns about the expenditures. He said any sovereign state has not only the right, but also the obligation to reform and strengthen its military, something that we are doing. And secondly, in the last 10 years, Azerbaijan's defense spending was on an average three times higher than ours. Well, Pashinyan was asked why Armenia isn't signing the peace treaty. Uh, the prime minister said that the main reason is the lack of thrust between the parties. He added that Yerevan's political will to sign a peace treaty with Azerbaijan in the coming months remains unshakable, but there are several issues to clarify. One is the formulation of a mechanism for overcoming possible misinterpretations of the content of the peace treaty, he said. The other is the creation of security guarantees so that no escalation is possible after the signing of the treaty. And this week, Azerbaijani media um, claimed uh, and wrote and published that French military 
uh, equipment was dispatched to Armenia through uh, the Republic of Georgia. Their reports were published alongside video footage and photographs showing the unloading and storage of bastion armored personnel carriers. The Armenian side uh, did not comment on this information. Neither confirmed nor negative. Denied, yeah. Denied, yes. Well, when asked to comment on the matter, Georgian Foreign Minister Ilya Darciashvili stated that any country has the right to acquire weapons permitted under international conventions. He went on to say that Georgia's position is to allow both countries, meaning Armenia and Azerbaijan, to use Georgia's transit function under equal conditions. And soon after, as was expected again, Azerbaijan's foreign ministry spokesperson condemned France's um, transfer of military equipment to Armenia, stating that the transfer will, quote, serve to reinforce military capabilities and thus the destructive actions of Armenia. The foreign ministry spokesperson went on uh, with, a, you know, with the accusations, adding that Armenia and France should end armament and militarization policy in the region and finally understand that there is no alternative to peace and stability in the region. Meanwhile, our, um, while criticizing Armenia for acquiring arms for self-defense, Azerbaijan has decided to procure additional Israeli-made air defense systems from, well, Israel, a deal worth 1.2 billion U.S. dollars. Well, there you go. And speaking of defense, on November 13, Defense Minister, Armenian Defense Minister, Suren Babikian, uh, was on a working visit in the United Arab Emirates. He participated in the opening ceremony of the Dubai Air Show. He met with the ruler of Dubai, Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, UAE Defense Minister, and other officials. Issues related to developing defense cooperation between the two countries were discussed. And this week, the defense minister of Georgia was also in Armenia. He met with the prime minister and Armenia's defense minister. The sides discussed Armenian-Georgian defense cooperation and regional security issues. Following the official meeting, a bilateral cooperation plan between the two defense ministers was signed. On November 15, Deputy Speaker of Parliament, uh, Hagop Arshagyan, um, had a meeting with the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, Arshagyan discussed the situation in the South Caucasus, presented the idea of the crossroads of peace plan proposed by Armenia. According to uh, a press release, uh, Assad appreciated uh, friendly relations between Armenia and Syria and emphasized the role of the Armenian community in the development of cultural, economic and other spheres of Syria. And on November 10, uh, Arad Mirzoyan was in Paris on a working visit where he met with Korea's foreign minister. Views were exchanged on the prospects of deepening bilateral political dialogue, mutually beneficial cooperation in trade, economy, science and education, innovations and high technologies. The sides reaffirmed their mutual intentions of establishment of diplomatic representations in both countries. The International Committee of the Red Cross in Armenia reported that in September and October, 220 remains were moved from uh, Artsakh to Armenia. Among them were mainly the victims of the explosion of the fuel warehouse as a result of the large-scale Azerbaijani attack on September 19 and the explosion. Um, according to official data, about uh, 500 uh, Armenians of Artsakh were killed. Hundreds of people were injured. And uh, on November 16, Ogun Samast, uh, who was convicted for the murder of the editor-in-chief of Agos, the Istanbul Armenian journalist Hrant Dink, was released after spending 16 years and 10 months in prison. 
And uh, for those who don't know, and I don't know who doesn't know, but on January 19, 2007, Samast uh, shot Dink in broad daylight near his office in Istanbul's uh, uh, Shishli district. The murder caused um, serious public upheaval and unprecedented mass demonstrations in Turkey. 17-year-old Samast fled the scene of the crime but was arrested the next day at a bus station in the city of Samsun in northeastern Turkey. Four years after the murder, uh, Samast was sentenced to 22 years and 10 months in prison. He was tried uh, in juvenile court because he was under 18 at the time of the murder. He will be considered on parole for the remainder of his sentence. On December 1, 2022, so just about a year ago, the Armenian government decided to allocate 10 billion Armenian dirhams and support Armenian IT companies because of the devaluation of the dollar. You know, a lot of us have suffered because of that, including the IT companies. But, and co- of course, the discussion is... Always uh, about the IT. <laughs> always about the IT. Uh, well... <laughs> According to Het's investigation, 18 companies received 190 million dirhams from the state budget. Eight of these companies are owned by foreign citizens or organizations. 14 of these companies have temporarily suspended um, you know their their work, their activities, and four of them are in the process of liquidation. Many of these companies had already stopped functioning long before signing the grant agreement with the Ministry of High Tech Industry, but the ministry granted financial support nonetheless. And among the companies who did receive assistance and who are operational and are good are Pixar, Crisp, and DG. But it's incredible that they would go ahead and sign these agreements when they are no longer in existence. But there you go. Well, and. Uh I want to say good news, but I don't know because it's kind of such a heavy topic. Armenian filmmaker Shogakat Vartanian's 1489, which follows the director's family after her brother goes missing while serving in the army during the 2020 war, has won the International Documentary Film Festival's Best Film Prize. The jury said that 1489 acts as a piercing light that makes visible the vast hidden interior landscape of grief and creates a tangible presence from the unbearable absence. Cinema as a tool of survival to allow us all to look at the things we would rather not see and ultimately an unforgettable example of cinema as an act of love. You know, I watched the trailer of the film 1489 and I think, well, 1489 is the number that her brother was given as the killed, right? Um, and it was, it was heavy. And then I was reading some of the reviews and obviously we haven't seen the film, but um, it's quite raw and um well, I know Difficult. colleagues mm-hmm. who've seen it, and there were conversations about this film in our kitchen. Yeah. After they they were definitely they felt raw as well, and they felt yeah. a little bit almost kind of like hurt and like like an open wound when the, yeah, right, uh, right. If to sum up those conversations, well, we'll see how the film does on the on the film circuit. Well, and some very local news. You know, we were discussing this earlier, Rubina. There seems like so much is going on, yet nothing is going on. Right, we're, we're suspended in this weird space again um, about local politics. Antranik Tevanyan, the leader of the Mother Armenia Party, resigned or refused or his mandate, his seat at the Yerevan Council, City Council. I don't know why they bother running and then when they're going to you know, give because up. Because it's all or nothing for yeah, them, I seriously. think. It's just like they really don't want to yeah, serve. Either they I'm just prime minister, leave. either I'm yeah. mayor, either yeah. I'm God, or, or, or nothing. Yeah, nor nothing. Yeah. So Manuk Sukiasian will lead the faction in his place. The opposition, uh, just as a reminder, received 12 mandates, 12 seats as a result of the city elections. And that's the kind of week we've had. 
here in Armenia. Thank you for listening. Have a safe and peaceful weekend. We'll be back again next week. Thank you.